If you didn't know this, we are in the midst, in the thick of the Christmas season. This is supposed to be the greatest time of the year. It's a time for great joy. It's for time for peace on earth. It's a time to spend with friends and family. Christmas is supposed to fill you with joy and wonder. But does it? Are you filled with joy and wonder this morning? As we ponder the coming of Jesus, does that impact the way you think or the way you feel? Does the message of Christmas really make any difference at all in your life? Because truth be told, this time of the year actually can be really hard for many of us. It's not a time of great joy and good tidings. Rather, it brings back memories of lost loved ones. It reminds us of broken relationships. It reminds us of missed opportunities. It increases our loneliness. It exasperates our pain and sickness. For many, Christmas can be a really hard time of the year. Is that true for you this morning? Are you here this morning just counting down the days for Christmas to be over so you can return to normal life? We even as a church have experienced a lot of that this year. We just had two memorials this past week, and now we are expecting a third. There are many people that are not here today because they're at home sick with either RSV or the flu. We live in a broken and fallen world. We see and experience sin in all sorts of ways, not only in the world around us, but even within our own hearts, within our own lives. Life can be hard. Life can be lonely. And for some, Christmas actually makes that worse. But does it have to be this way? Can Christmas be a time of joy? Can Christmas be a time of wonder, even in the midst of pain? Can Christmas be a time of joy, even in the midst of trials, regardless of your circumstances? And the answer is yes, it can be. And we're going to see that this morning in the passage that I'll be reading for us. So I invite you to stand in honor of God's Word. I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. This is the word of the Lord, and every word is absolutely true. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let us pray. O Lord, I do thank you. For your word, we thank you as we have this opportunity to be reminded that Christmas is a celebration of the coming of your son, and his coming makes all the difference in the world. Lord, as we hear the words of life this morning, I pray that through your spirit that our eyes and our hearts and our minds would be open, 
and that we would leave here this morning greatly encouraged, that we'd leave here this morning with hope and with joy, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And Lord, we pray that we'd leave here this morning, that Jesus would be exalted, and we ask this in his name, amen. Please be seated. Have you ever had one of those days where you're just kind of going about your normal business and then your day just gets completely interrupted? You know, maybe it's because you get a phone call that you weren't expecting or a text message or something happens that just changes your day completely and, matter of fact, just changes really your life. You know, one of those things that you just were not prepared for. And typically, if something like that happens, maybe some of you have experienced that, where you just get that unexpected phone call or, or that, that bit of news that you just did not see coming. When that happens, what, what kind of news is that typically? Usually it's bad news, isn't it? You, know, you get a call, someone that you love has had an accident. Someone is in the hospital. Someone has died. Something terrible has happened. It's that call that you get when everything is turned upside down. It's that call that you get when everything has changed. Now, wouldn't it be nice if when those times happen, when we get that unexpected call, the unexpected news, that it was really good news? Like, let's just say you're at work or you're in school in class, and suddenly your your, your phone rings, and you answer, and there's a lawyer on the phone. And the lawyer's like, you know that uh, great uncle Rufus? He passed away, and either you never met him, but he has given you $10 million. Wouldn't that be great? Isn't that something that we'd all love to experience? Now, I'll be here to tell you that it's probably not going to happen to any one of us, but there are times that we get that unexpected news, and it's good. Your doctor calls and lets you know that all the tests are negative and your cancer is gone. Or your friend calls to let you know that she is engaged. Or your son and daughter-in-law call to let you know that you are now going to be grandparents. There are times when we receive unexpected news and it is good and it changes everything. I experienced this many years ago. I was in Target, just doing Target things and just shopping for just, you know, meaningless things for our house when suddenly my phone rang and I answered the phone, and it was our caseworker, our adoption caseworker. He said, Kai, how are you doing? Good. How are you? There was a baby born today, and you've been chosen to be his parents. Can you be here tomorrow to pick up your son? That changed everything. So what did I do? Hung up the phone and went and asked where the peas were located. No. I immediately got the phone, and I called Jenny told her the good news, and she burst into tears. She was at work, and everyone wondered what was wrong. She's like, no, it's good news. I need to take the next month off. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, so this happens, right? This happens. We can get really good news, and, and when that happened to us, everything changed. Matter of fact, we were not prepared for that call at all. The only thing that we owned in our possession was a car seat, and it was still in the box. So I went for Target. I cannot even remember what I was there for, but I left there with a cart full of diapers and a pack-and-play and clothes and formula and all sorts of things I did not plan on buying that day. It changed everything. 
we receive that news with gladness and celebration. Honestly, also a little bit of fear and trembling. Well, the passage before us this morning describes a similar occurrence. There's a sudden announcement. There is news that changes everything. And as wonderful as my story is, it pales in comparison to what happened outside of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. You see, it begins in a very ordinary way. We see this in verse 8. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. There's nothing special being described here. The shepherds were doing the things the shepherds do every night. They were not expecting anything unusual to happen. It was just another typical night in the fields outside of Bethlehem. But then everything changes. Without warning, without an announcement, without any kind of preparations, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Everything was quiet. It was a silent night. And then suddenly, boom, an angel appears to them. Standing in front of them is one who is strong and brilliant and holy. And not only that, but the glory of the Lord shone around them. This is what we call the Shekinah glory. It's the blazing, blinding glory of God. So I want you just for a moment to put yourself in their shoes. Put yourself in the shoes of the shepherds. How would you react if this was you? What would be your response? The shepherds were filled with great fear. I love how the King James puts it. They were sore afraid. You see, shepherds, they faced all kinds of troubles as they tended to their sheep. Matter of fact, there were even times when they put their lives in harm's way trying to protect their sheep. But they had never experienced this level of fear before. They've never been this afraid, so afraid that it hurt. Why? Why were they so afraid? It's because they were in the presence of the holy. The angel was sent by God to represent him and his glory accompanied this angel. And whenever God's Shekinah glory appears, people hide from it. They're overwhelmed by it. They are driven to their knees in fear and awe and submission and worship. That is what the shepherds were experiencing this evening. Tim Keller reminds us that human beings are radically threatened by the presence of the holy. One of the things that is common to all humanity is that we would be terrified to be in the presence of God. And this is where the wonder and the joy of Christmas begins. God is holy. We cannot stand before him. We cannot stand in his glory by our own merit. And so back to that question, if you were one of those shepherds, if you put yourself in their place, how would you have responded to this? Would you think, well, it would be awesome. I would love to be there. I wouldn't be that afraid. If that is you, if you don't think you would be terrified by that encounter, if you don't think you would be terrified by the presence of the glory of God, then you either have too low a view of God or too high a view of yourself. We cannot fully understand the beauty and the power and the glory of the gospel unless we understand two fundamental truths. And that is that God is holy and that we are sinners. And the separation that exists between God and us is infinitely large. The angel's arrival caused great fear, but he's also coming 
with a message of great news. God is going to do something about this infinite separation that exists between him and us. Spiritual darkness has covered the earth for thousands of years, but that is about to change. With blazing glory, God is going to make an announcement of an exceedingly and astonishingly good news. But before we get to that news, there's one other thing that I want us to see here. God is about to make the most important announcement the world has ever known. And to whom does he announce this? To whom does he bring this good news? He doesn't bring it to the king. He doesn't send his angel to any of the other rulers of the land. He doesn't send his angel to the priest or any of the other religious leaders. The angel is sent to shepherds. And that should surprise us. That's not something that we would expect. You see, the shepherds were a despised class of people during that time. They had poor reputations. They were considered unreliable. Matter of fact, they were not even allowed to, to, to give testimony in a court of law because they were considered untrustworthy. Their testimonies didn't really count. And not only that, but they were considered ceremonially unclean. Because of the nature of their work, it was, they were often would encounter dead animals, and that made them unclean. And so therefore, they were unable to participate in the ceremonial laws and worship of Israel. But yet, that is who God sends his angel to. These low and despised shepherds, they are the first to hear the most wonderful and joyful news of all time. They get to hear the news that Jesus has come. And so it's in the midst of this announcement, it's in the midst of this great news that we are reminded of Jesus' purpose. Jesus said that I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. You see, things of God are often hidden from the, the great and the noble of this world. Matter of fact, King Herod is an example of this. He didn't hear the news of Jesus from angels, he heard it from foreigners. As these shepherds, they hear about it from God himself. And this really should be an encouragement for all of us. You see, your race, your gender, your education, your wealth, your social status does not determine whether you are qualified or not to hear from God. Because the reality is none of us are. None of us are qualified in and of ourselves to hear from God. And yet he chooses to reveal himself to us. He chooses to reveal himself to you. And on this evening outside of Bethlehem, he chose to speak to these lowly and despised shepherds, the ones that were ignored and rejected by the world. So what does he proclaim to these shepherds through this angel? They're words of joy and of hope. But he begins by exhorting the shepherds to fear not. Just think about that for a second. This shows God's tenderness and his care and his wisdom because the shepherds, they are shaking in their boots. The fear that they are experiencing is paralyzing. And that needed to be dealt with before they could hear anything else. So that's where God begins. Fear not. Fear not. So how do they do that? It's, it's one thing, right, for someone to tell you, you need to stop being afraid. That's a whole other thing to actually not be afraid. It's one thing for, for the shepherds to be told, you stop fearing. It's another thing for them to actually stop being afraid because their fear was real. It was legitimate. 
Matter of fact, it was actually the right response to have to what they were seeing and experiencing. So how do they fear not? Well, look at what God tells them to do. He says, behold. God is telling them, look at what I'm going to do. I will bring you good news of great joy. And there's a lesson here for us. There is nothing you can do in your own strength, in your own power, in your own wisdom. There's nothing you can do to remove the fear of the Lord. You cannot escape it. You cannot suppress it. You cannot overcome it. Only God can remove our fear. And he does so by having us look to him. He does so by having us trust in his provision and his promises. Behold your God. Look at what I'm about to do. God replaces our fear with joy by bringing good news. And so what is this good news? It's the gospel. God is proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is what ends fear. The gospel is what turns our fear into joy. God is coming to rescue sinners. He's coming with a solution to the world's biggest problem, which is sin. He's coming to reconcile a people to himself. He's coming to establish his kingdom here on earth. He is coming to bring great joy. And this news is not reserved for just an elite few. It's not reserved for the brightest and the best, the most wealthiest. It's not reserved for those who are at the top of the social ladder. This news is for all people. The gospel is good news regardless of your gender, your race, your nationality, your education, your social class. It's for you. So what is the gospel? What is this good news? Well, look what the passage says. says. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. So the good news is a child is born. But this is not an ordinary child, for he is the Savior. This is the baby that was born to Joseph and Mary that we read about earlier in chapter 2. It is Jesus. Jesus is the Savior. He is the good news. So how is his birth good news of great joy? Well, look what else is said of him in verse 11. Yes, Jesus is the Savior, but he is also Christ, the Lord. So we see here in verse 11 these three titles that are used for Jesus. This is the only place where all three of these are used together. That Jesus is the Savior. He is the Christ, and he is Lord. And each one of these titles is important. First, Jesus is Savior. Jesus has come into our world to save us from our sins. He has come in our world to save us from the judgment that we justly deserve. He has come to save us from the wrath of God. And he does this by living a perfect and righteous life. He does this by fulfilling perfectly the law of God and by making atonement for our sin by his blood upon the cross. John 8.35 reminds us that everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And then we read in Romans 3 that all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of us were slaves to sin. All of us needed a Savior because we could not save ourselves. But there's good news of great joy. Jesus has come. He is that Savior. He is the Savior that we need. And he alone can save you. So one of the things that the Christmas message should cause us to do is to ask ourselves the question, do we trust in Jesus? 
Is Jesus your Savior? But not only is he Savior, but he is the Christ. The word here is the word that means anointed one. It's the same word that we had used for Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah is the one that God promised ages past to come. God promised that one day he would send forth his Messiah who would defeat all the enemies of God, who would rescue his people and establish his kingdom. When the Messiah comes, he will be anointed by the Holy Spirit to be the perfect prophet, priest, and king. That he will be uniquely called and qualified and equipped to carry out this work. And that his work will know no ends. It will, it will move on forever. The Messiah was somebody that the people of God were waiting to see come. They were longing for this day. And now it's here. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is prophet, priest, and king. How is that possible? How is this little baby in a manger the Messiah? How can that little baby fulfill all the promises of God? It's because he is also Lord. This means that Jesus has the power and the authority to carry out his mission. He has the power to save you. He has the authority to fulfill the role of the Messiah. And this is all good news, but there's even deeper meaning here. Because the, the angels announcing to these shepherds that this little baby that's born in a manger is no less than God himself. Jesus is Lord. He is God in the flesh. He is our Emmanuel. We get a hint of this just in our passage before us. If you look back at verse 9, the angel is the angel of the Lord. And it also says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. The word used there for Lord is the same one that we see here in verse 11 in reference to this baby. And in verse 9, it's clearly referring to God himself. And so when Luke uses it again here in reference to Jesus, he does so without any qualification. He does so without any explanation. He is saying that Jesus is God. The good news of great joy is that God is coming into our world. He's coming to save his people. He's coming to establish his kingdom. He's coming to defeat all of his enemies. He's coming to set all things right and to make all things new. So fear not. Behold, look at what I'm about to do. I am sending you my son. And not only that, but then he goes on through the angel and says, and I will give you a sign. And we see this in verse 12. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. What? Is that the sign you would expect for the Messiah? For the one who is supposed to be king of all? The Savior, the Christ, the Lord? He's not to be found in a palace. He's not to be found in the temple. He is found in a manger. You see, there's nothing about the birth of Jesus that suggests that this baby is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The coming of Jesus is wrapped in humility and humiliation. And that foreshadows what he came to do. There's a quote on your bulletin from Christopher Ashe, which I like, that just talks about how the music of his birth, in the music of his birth, we hear the sad melody of his death. Jesus, the exalted one, Jesus, God in the flesh, the maker and ruler of all things, lies in a manger as a helpless and utterly dependable baby. It's one thing I learned really quickly when we had, with our first adoption is babies can't do anything themselves. 
Think about that for a second. This is God in the flesh, the one who made all things. Is a newborn baby, entirely dependent upon his parents. Let that sink in. The wonder of Christmas is that Jesus, that God, condescends to us. That he experienced the utter depths of humiliation. Ultimately, he suffered and he dies on the cross. Why? Why? To save you. To make you his own. And there is no greater gift than this. Jesus gave himself willingly and freely because he loves you. Jesus loves you. So how can we experience the wonder and the joy of Christmas even in the midst of struggles? Even in the midst of pain and sorrow? Behold, fear not. Look to the manger. Jesus came for you. And we see in our passage that the heavens rejoiced at this news We see this in verse 13. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. So just as quickly as this angel appeared to the shepherd, he is joined by a host of angels all singing praises to God. They are exalting him in his glory. They are marveled at what God is doing because the angels, they love the gospel. Peter alludes to this in 1 Peter 1.12 when he writes that the good news of the gospel is something that the angels long to look upon. They are full of excitement and wonder at what God is doing, and so they burst forth in praise. And what is their song? We see in verse 14 that they are singing out, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angel's song is one of peace. They praise God for the peace that this baby is bringing into the world. But here's the amazing part. When we think about this scene, Sometimes if you look at some of the different paintings that depict this scene, they actually are misleading. This is not just a few little cute angels up in the air singing praises to God. This is a, the multitude of the heavenly host. The language that's used here actually refers to the army of the Lord. We're reminded of this if you were to read in 2 Kings 6 about the time when Elijah the prophet was surrounded by his enemies and was full of great fear, understandably so. And then the Lord speaks to him and he says, fear not, for you are not alone. So Elisha prays to have his eyes open. When his eyes are open, he sees that he himself is actually surrounded and protected by chariots of fire. This is the heavenly host have come around him and are going to fight on his behalf. And so his fear is gone. We also get another picture of this in the, the book of Revelation. When Jesus returns, he returns with the heavenly host. This is the army of the Lord. And we need to understand that this army of the Lord could just wipe out all of humanity in a moment's notice. And they had the right to do so. That's what we deserve. They could just wipe out the earth. It's a terrifying presence. But what is their message? It's not one of judgment, it's not one of destruction. They bring a message of peace. They bring good news of great, great joy. You see, this is not a message of just simple or cheap peace, the kind of peace that you experience when life is going pretty well, your relationships are relatively healthy. That's not the message of Christmas. Many of us suffer during this time. Many of us struggle with pain and sickness. 
Many of us long for relationships to be restored. Many of us mourn the loss of loved ones. And just because it's Christmas time doesn't mean that those things go away. But the message of Christmas does bring the promise that there is coming a day when all of that will go away. There's coming a day when all of sin will be wiped away. At Christmas time, at Advent, we do celebrate the coming of Jesus, but we also realize it contains a promise that he will return, that Jesus will come again. And when he returns, he will finish what he started on that first Christmas morning. And that should give us great hope. But this message is not something that just gives us something to look forward to. It's not just pointing to hope that we have in the future. It also is very practical for us today because the message of Christmas is that Jesus came to bring peace. He came to bring peace now to you. He came to bring the peace that surpasses understanding because he came to make peace between God and man. He came to bring peace between you and God. Apart from Jesus, we were his enemies. We were alienated because of our sin. We were alienated from God. But Jesus has made peace. Our relationship with God has been restored. None of us deserve this gift. There's no way we could have done this ourselves, but Jesus could. And so God sent his son into the earth to bring peace so that we could have peace with God. And who is this for? It is for all whom he has pleased. I want all of this to sink in for a moment. Because of Jesus, right here and right now, you have peace with God. Even though you still sin, even though you struggle, even though you fail, even though you fall short, you have peace with God because of Jesus. And not only that, God is pleased with you. Do you actually believe that? There are so, so many times where we're not even pleased with ourselves. But because of Jesus, God is pleased with you. Even in the midst of your sin, even in the midst of your struggles, even in the midst, God loves you. This is good news of great joy. Jesus has brought peace to all whom he has pleased. And because we have peace with God, we are called to be peacemakers. We are, God, we are called to pursue peace within all of our relationships. And that is how peace on earth grows. It is through his people. It is through the church. And we can only do this because we first have been given peace with God through Jesus. So as you think about this passage, we are reminded that the shepherds, they were just having a quiet, normal night. But then everything changed. Their journey began with great fear, but it ends in great joy because a Savior has been born. He is Christ. He is the Lord. He is God in the flesh. He is Jesus. So how do we maintain joy and wonder during Christmas? Well, what do the shepherds do? Look at verses 15 and 16. It says, When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and found Mary and Joseph 
and the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds went with haste to see Jesus. So whatever you're going through this season, whatever burdens you are carrying, you can still have great joy. How? Run to Jesus. That is my exhortation for us this morning. That is my exhortation for us this Christmas season, this Advent. Run to Jesus with haste, and you will find peace, and you will find joy. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. This is a gift that not one of us deserved, yet it is one that's given freely. It is one that's given out of great love and compassion and mercy and grace. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here this morning that has not received this gift, that has not placed their trust in Jesus, I pray that today would be that day that they come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and that everything changes. Lord, for those of us that do know Christ, Lord, I pray that you would help us understand the peace that he has won, the peace that we have now with you. Lord, I pray that you would enable to keep us focused upon him throughout this season, frankly, throughout our lives as we struggle with various things, for we still live in a fallen, sinful world. But even in the midst of that, we can have joy and we can have peace because Jesus loves us and he came for us and he is with us. And we have the hope that he will return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray this in his name. Amen.